Our plan is to end up in 2 Peter 1, but our theme that we'll discuss this evening is the idea of reaching those who have fallen away. Reaching those who have fallen away. If I, if I heard right, our ladies in the foyer class are studying the idea of returning to God. And so I thought it would be appropriate for us to follow a similar path and think about reaching those who have fallen away. I've got three words in my mind. I think we will try to let these words guide us. First word is responsibility. The second word is possibility. And then the third word is remedy. Remedy. And so we won't think about responsibility very long because we know we have the responsibility of, of going after those who have um, fallen away. You remember Galatians uh, 6 and verse 1. Galatians 6 verse 1. Where the Apostle Paul uh, says, uh, Brethren, you who are spiritual, restore those who have been overtaken in a fall. Considering yourself also, uh, lest you also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the responsibility is clear that God has given us. There are two salvations for us to be focused on as we walk uh, with Christ. There is an initial salvation where we come out of of the world, we obey the gospel. Uh, we think about obeying the gospel, we think of Jesus' words, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, over Mark 16, 16. That's the initial salvation, where, where someone uh, comes to Christ in the first place, and makes the decision to follow Him the rest of their lives. And the hope there is that one would from that point on remain dedicated and faithful. But sometimes, sometimes like a wandering sheep, sometimes we do wander away or someone wanders away. And when someone wanders away, falls away, then uh, it, is, it is God's charge to us that we go and we, we teach them once again. And help bring them back. So responsibility. There are lists on the table back there. Of folks that uh, we need to be contacting. That we need to be calling. We need to be studying the Bible uh, with. And there are other folks uh, that we know. And so think um, about responsibility. Responsibility. But I want to spend... Uh, Sometime on the idea of the possibility. It is a possibility for one who has become a Christian uh, to fall away and put his soul or her soul in jeopardy uh, once again. I want, I want us to establish that. I know that you know this. But it's important for us to reestablish this in our hearts because if we're not convinced, if we're not convicted, that those of the world are actually lost and separated from God, we won't go after them. 
We won't make any more effort than, than what we've always made. Okay. So it's good for us to think about the possibility. And then I want to go back to Second Peter with you and think about a, a remedy that God gives us. Let's look at this, the possibility of being lost. Look at, uh, let's start in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. This will be verses 19 and 20. James 5, uh, 19 and 20. Notice what he says, beginning in verse 19, James 5. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone brings him back, converts him, let him know that whoever brings him back, brings back a sinner from the air of his way, brings back a sinner from his wandering, he will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay, so notice who is in view here. A brother in Christ. Okay. One who, who has been forgiven of his sins. One who has been added to the church. But notice that this brother has wandered away. He has erred from the truth. And someone needs to bring him back. Notice that if he is not brought back, okay, then he, his soul will be in jeopardy and he will experience a death. You see that? Now, if he is brought back, then he will save his soul from death. But if he's not brought back, he will experience death. And as you know, death means separation from God. He's not talking about physical death here. It doesn't mean that you're going to physically die if you don't return to God, but you will spiritually die. You will be separated from God, perhaps even eternally. Hold your place there and jump over to Revelation 2 for a second. Revelation uh, chapter 2. Notice all the way down to verse 11. Jesus here speaking, sending a message to the church at Smyrna. Verse 11. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, will not be hurt by the what? Second death. Second death. That term second death is often used to describe eternal death. Revelation 20.14 also uses the second death. Revelation 20.14 and Revelation 21 verse 8 speaks of the second death and, and the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And so, if this brother who has now wandered from the truth if he, is, he does not come back, or if he's not brought back, then his soul will experience this eternal death. And sin will continue to direct his life here on this earth. James 5, 19 and 20. Now jump over with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. And you are familiar with this, but starting in verse 20... Speaking of those who have wandered away, Peter says, 2 Peter 2 verse 20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. 
For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it after turning their back from the holy commandments delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallowing uh, in the mire. I have favorite commentators, and there are some commentators of the Bible that give good insight, but they're not members of the church. I was reading a fellow by the last name of Worsby. Worsby. He's an old commentator from a generation or two ago. And so I thought, let's just see what Worsby says here about 2 Peter 2.20. And he said that these folks were never saved from their sins in the first place. Okay. He has that old belief that's found in the, in the religious world that once a person has been saved, then they can never be lost. And if they are wandering from God, then they're never saved in the first place. But he's wrong about this. Notice that Peter says, Second Peter two twenty, these are folks who have once escaped the defilements of the world. They have become Christians. They had they had repented. They had turned from their sins. They had committed themselves to Christ. Okay. And through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. If you back up to Second Peter chapter two verse one Okay, this is really where Peter begins to describe the folks he describes throughout this chapter. But 2 Peter 2, 1, notice what Peter says. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even, notice this closely, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon them themselves swift destruction. So notice these folks that Peter's describing, describing are people who once have been bought by the Master. And you know what that means. These are folks who have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Acts 20 verse 28. They've been bought by the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 and 20. We, we are bought with a price and that price is the blood of In the death of our Lord, the blood of Jesus, we have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and in your body. These folks have been bought. They had made Jesus their master. But for some reason or another, they were now denying the master that bought them. These are the people that Peter is describing uh, down toward the end of the chapter. And so they had been bought, but they had turned from the holy commandment that had been delivered unto them. And their last state now is worse than their first. Alright? Let's jump back now to the book of Hebrews. book of Hebrews. Just still trying to impress upon ourselves that there's an extreme possibility. We don't wish for this for anyone, for any Christian, for any, any member, for anyone seeking to serve Christ. We don't wish for this. But it's just possible. In Hebrews chapter 2, We'll jump through the book of Hebrews right quick. Hebrews 2, notice what it says, verse 1. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore we, we, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now the we there, if you jump up to chapter 1, verse 14, 
Notice the question there. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's talking about angels. Angels look after those who are walking with Christ who will eventually inherit ultimate salvation in heaven. Going into verse 2, notice what he says. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. Now keep that thought going down to chapter 3, verse 1. Notice how the apostle describes the, the believers. He says, Therefore, holy brothers, holy brethren, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now notice what he says to these holy brethren, verse 12. Notice Hebrews 3, verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So notice how there's extreme possibility there. Jumping on over to Hebrews chapter 6. Let's read 4 through 8. Hebrews 6 beginning in verse 4. Here we go. Hebrews 6 verse 4. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened. That is, these, he's talking about those who have become Christians. They've been enlightened. Okay. Those who have tasted the heavenly gift, they have received the gift of salvation. Okay. And have shared in the Holy Spirit. Okay. And have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. Verse 5. And the power of the age to come. If then they fall away, it's impossible to restore them to repentance since, notice this, verse 6, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. In other words, it's not that those folks could not return to God. It's that if they continue to live in such a way that they're showing contempt to the Son of God, that they continue to deny the Son of God, then they're not going to be restored. You can't do both of those things. You can't, you can't at the same time do what he says here in verse 6, which is they keep crucifying once again the Son of God. Okay. They're continuing in their sin. You can't continue in your sin and then be restored through repentance at the same time. If they stop crucifying the Son of God afresh, then they'll have the possibility of being uh, restored. Okay. And notice how the writer here illustrates this. If we continue to read here in Hebrews 6, now verse 7. For land that has drunk the rain that often uh, falls on it and produces a crop um, useful to those who, for whose sake it is cult- cultivated uh, receives a blessing from God. When land receives rain, it brings a blessing from God. But notice verse 8. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end uh, is to be burned. Now, he mentions this because he's describing two different types of people. Some folks are ready to receive God's Word. Okay? They're ready to put away their sin, even if they've become Christians and they've wandered away, and, and you go to them, they are ready to see you, they're ready to study, they're ready to turn away, they're ready to come back. Others, though... They want to keep sin in their life. 
They want to keep the thorns and thistles in their lives. And that's not going to bring a blessing uh, from God. So notice these, and there are several others here from the book of Hebrews, uh, but for time's sake we'll move on. So we've noticed the possibility of, of falling away from God from James and from Second Peter and from Hebrews. Let's jump back quickly to Second uh, Timothy. Second Timothy. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, where Paul had just talked about preaching the word, being in season, out of season. And then notice verse 3, 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into fables. As for you, Timothy, you always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work in evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Okay. Notice an example in Second Timothy two sixteen to eighteen. Paul mentions two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who had done just that. They had wandered away from the truth. They had erred from the truth. They were teaching such things as that, that the final resurrection had already taken place. And they were upsetting the faith of many people. Okay. So he says it's possible. And here are two men who are in that situation right then. Right. Let's notice a couple other um, passages to illustrate this. Jump back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, as we, we we're trying to impress upon ourselves the fact that those who wander away are putting their souls uh, in jeopardy. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, number 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly, saying that in the last days some will depart from the faith. Now notice, they will depart from the faith. You can't depart from something that you haven't been associated with. So they had the faith, and they're going to depart from the faith. And they'll do this by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And they'll go on forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from certain foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Notice the the emphasis made there on some departing from the faith. They will have their consciences seared. Uh, they will dig in, that is, behind these false ideas that they have absorbed. Go back uh, with me to the book of Ephesians. And let's get ready to flip between Ephesians and Revelation 2 to illustrate this as well. Remember from Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. A familiar statement. Uh, to you, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been, what? Right. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man uh, should boast. So, Paul's writing to Christians in Ephesus, they have been saved by grace through faith. In Ephesians 5, 26, uh, he he uh, puts their salvation, in other words, he, he says, um, you have been cleansed, cleansed through the washing of water and the word. Okay. That's, that's the same identical statement as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, ultimately. 
By grace you have been saved through faith. You have been cleansed, sanctified by the washing of the water and the word, Ephesians 5, 26. So he's talking to people who have become Christians. Now Jesus, in Revelation 2, he sends a message to this same church. So you want to notice this, what has happened them, to them several, several years later. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is sending a message to the church at Ephesus. He says, beginning in verse 2, Revelation 2, verse 2, he says, I know your works, I know your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Sounds pretty good so far. But verse 4, but I have this against you. We don't want Christ to have anything against us. Okay. But he says, I have this against you. That you have abandoned, you have left the first love. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember therefore, from where you have fallen. Notice the word fallen there. You have left the first love and you have fallen. Repent. Notice that they need to repent. Why would you repent? Didn't Jesus once say in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, what happens? You shall all likewise perish. They needed to repent. If they don't repent, if they don't repent, then it's not good. You need to repent and do the works you did at first. If not, Jesus says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand uh, from its place unless you repent. Now notice, he says, you have left your first love. To love is to keep God's commandments, right? John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. To love is to serve, Galatians 5, verse 6. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But faith that works through love. Galatians 5, 13, Don't use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but through love serve one another. So that this is what they had stopped doing. They had stopped obeying the commandments of God. All of them. They were not diligent in obeying all the commands of God. And they had stopped serving. Okay. They were now looking inward. And so Jesus is coming to them. I've got this against you and you need to repent of this. If they don't, if they don't, what is Jesus going to do? He's going to take their lampstand away. Okay. If you look in Revelation 1.20, the lampstand just basically was another way of referring to the church. Okay, the lampstand just refers to the congregation. So basically what Jesus is saying is, if you don't repent, I'm going to disown you. I'm going to take away the lampstand. I'm, just going, to, I'm, going, to, I'm going to regard you as not one of mine. And so it's not totally hopeless because if they would overcome, if they will repent and realize that God loves them and wants the best for them, then they can have a place if you keep reading Revelation 3, 20 and 21. They can have a place at Jesus' throne. They can be forgiven. They can get back on track. But at this point of this letter that is sent, uh, their, their souls were in jeopardy. And this is, he's talking to the whole congregation. So notice that from Ephesians. And there is an illustration of this also, of the fact that it's totally possible to wander away from the truth. There's an illustration of this in Galatians as well. There's a familiar uh, passage where in Galatians 3.26, uh, 
Paul says, For we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. So we know that as Paul is sending his letter to the churches of Galatia, that these are men and women who have been baptized into Christ. They have been forgiven. But if you notice from Galatians 5, 1 through 4, uh, their temptation was to go back to the old law of Moses that had been nailed to the cross. Their temptation was to go back to the old law, to bring certain elements from the old law into and attach it to the gospel. Paul said, if you continue to do this, then uh, you will be severed from Christ. You will have a situation where you have fallen from grace. Okay? So that's right there in your Bible. Galatians 5, uh, verse 4. It's just one illustration. There are several there in uh, Galatians. But I want to I emphasize this in different places, and then I want us to uh, get to Second Peter here and look at the remedy that is there. But let's look into the life of Jesus for a second. Did Jesus himself say that it was possible for one who has come to him to eventually wander away? Let's start with Jesus in John 15. Uh, John chapter 15. Remember this, the, the vine and the branches? You remember this. So we'll begin reading John 15 verse 1 where the Lord says, I am the true vine. Are you there? John 15 verse 1. I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Notice that. He's talking about people called branches here, but representing people. Abide in me. People who have come to be in Christ, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and are burned. Okay. And so another illustration there of how it's, um, it's possible for us to lose our soul. We have to remain diligent before our Lord. Let's look at one other illustration and then we'll get to the remedy here. And I'm just going to mention it. Uh, Jesus gave the parable of the tares in Matthew 13. And if you look at Matthew 13, 41, you will see that that represents those in the kingdom who have become uh, weak. And if they don't become strong again, then they will be cast forth out of the kingdom. Okay, Matthew 30, 13, uh, 40 and 41. Okay, and that can be for your further study. And so, remember, we started with the idea of responsibility. It's, it's our responsibility to think seriously, soberly about those that we no longer see. Those that, that have um, grown weak in faith for some reason or another. It's our responsibility. Notice that this is a serious thing. It, it will land their soul 
uh, in jeopardy once again, and their state will be worse than, the, than before they ever come to Christ in the first place. Now let's look at 2 Peter 1, and notice what Mark read for us, 2 Peter 1. Now the reason 2 Peter 1 brings a recipe for uh, maturity, or a, uh, a recipe for uh, not falling away, is because, notice what it said here in verse, ele- verse 11. Verse 10 says, uh, notice the last part of verse 10, 2 Peter 1, verse 10. For if you practice these qualities, you will never uh, fall. Some translations say, if you practice these qualities, if you do these things, you will never stumble. That's what attracts us to 2 Peter 1. This is our remedy here. If I'm going to speak to someone about coming back to the Lord... This is a tremendous little passage to you. Okay. This has a great, uh, this has several good ideas in it. I want to share four of these ideas with you right quick. This is for our benefit. If you're going to talk to someone about um, what needs to happen for them to come back. The first quality is that of knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge of Jesus. Knowledge of Scripture. Notice how much that's emphasized here. Uh, from verses 3 onward. Uh, Notice verse 3 begins with God's divine power has been given unto us through the knowledge of Him who called us. Knowledge. Uh, We know that Romans 1.16 connects the power of God to knowledge, to the gospel. To the gospel. To Him who called us. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says that that we're called to God through the gospel. So knowledge is so, so huge. And then notice here, as he tells us to add these virtues to our lives, here in verse uh, 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue and virtue, knowledge. Knowledge. So a person needs basic knowledge in Christ to be able to tell uh, between truth and error and to be able to tell what he must do, what, God, what the Lord expects him to do. And so the first thing you want to do with someone is to sit down with them and open up the Bible. Open up the Bible. If someone has wandered away from the faith, it's a faith problem. Okay. Where does faith come from? Romans ten seventeen. what does that say? Faith comes through hearing. hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. It's a faith problem. Okay? It's, not a, it's, it's not anything else but a faith problem. And, and knowledge is what leads to more faith. Okay? So no substitute for the study of God's Word. The next thing, the next quality here is that of character. Character. Let's talk to them about necessary... Uh, qualities of their lives that need to be within them. Mentioned here by Peter. uh, Such as virtue. Virtue. Uh, Virtue to me is just simply someone's moral standing. Uh, That we stand on the word of God and and that directs my behavior. And so we talk about that as we sit down and we're studying together. How are you making your decision? What 
What, what drives you? Is it, is it the Word of God? The Word of God is supposed to direct our behavior, whether it be family life, whether it be everyday life, whether it be our habits, our thoughts. Uh, God is to be uh, in control. So, so part of our character is to have virtue. To have virtue. Also, godliness is mentioned here. To try to become more and more like God. Verse 3 and 4 mentions that when we are called to God, our goal is to be partakers of the divine nature. It's not that we become gods or, or God, but we can grow in, in, in a lot of His spiritual qualities. We can become more and more like Him. And if we had time, we'd look at some verses that, that illustrate that. But godliness is part of character. So, so virtue and godliness and also self-control. Self-control. Temperance in the King James Version, but, but self-control. Self-control is staying away from things that will harm us, uh, harm our faith, or harm us spiritually. Okay. And a part of self-control is what you can call, what you might call um, moderation. Moder- People will get involved in things and they'll say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with it, except you can make it be wrong if it absorbs your life to the point of causing you, causing someone to neglect themselves spiritually. Okay. There's nothing wrong with fishing. Okay. But it could become a sin. So that's why I had the idea of self-control and moderation. Moderation. God doesn't want us absorbed with anything except for Him. He expects and He knows that we need breaks now and then. But in our society and in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, some people had taken their, their recreation to some sort of extreme. And so notice what makes up a character is at least uh, virtue and self-control and godliness. Okay. The next big quality, uh, as Peter mentions, becoming more mature, coming back to God, is the quality of attitude. attitude. He mentions love here basically twice. Let, let brotherly kindness continue, he says, but also love, love. Brotherly kindness and love is, is being dedicated in an unselfish way. We're dedicated to other people, other people's good, other people's spiritual good. We're dedicated to that. And so, uh, most likely, when you find someone who has wandered away from the truth, uh, their focus is much on themselves and on their own families and on their own problems. And they don't understand that they can be stronger if they will focus on other people's needs and serving them and helping them to know uh, Christ. And so part of Peter, Peter's um, explanation here is to grow in knowledge, to grow in character, and to grow in attitude, uh, which is the foundation of any good attitude is love. And then... The fourth quality is serving. Serving. Because he says if you do these things, you will not be barren and unfruitful. But the Lord will make you fruitful. Now if you don't do these things, what happens? Okay, two big things happen. Okay. And it's terrible. First, you become blind. Blind to the point of not being able to see afar off. Spiritually blind. It is hugely important for every Christian to have the big picture in mind. The big picture. What's most important? 
That's what ought to occupy my eyes. That's what ought to occupy my heart and my mind. That's what ought to drive what I do every day is the big picture of salvation and heaven and serving and knowing and growing and praying. Those types of things. Big picture. If you don't have the big picture of God in mind, you know what happens. You're, you become reactionary. You're waiting on the next emergency to come through. Okay. That's the way a lot of folks, even some Christians, live their lives. They're just waiting on the next news clip. They're waiting on the next emergency to come through. And that sort of drives what they do next. But God doesn't want us to, to be that way. He wants, us, he wants us to have our eyes wide open spiritually to see, to see the whole view uh, of what's most important. Eternal, eternal perspective is what he's talking about. So if we don't grow in these qualities, then we become spiritually blind. And then a second thing that happens is we become, um, we forget. We have spiritual amnesia. We forget. We forget that we have been purged from our old sin. We forget the thrill that we experienced when we knew coming up out of the water, that we have been completely forgiven. We forget the thrill of knowing and believing that as I confess my sins to God in prayer, that He will completely wipe those away and remember them no more. Some folks have forgotten that. Was there a thrill in the first place? And I have asked that many times to, to some that I have uh, encouraged to come back uh, to the Lord, I asked them about their, the time they were baptized. Had they been baptized? Was there a thrill there? What was, what was your understanding then? What were you thinking when you were baptized? And if they don't have much thought about that, then I start talking to them about possibility of obeying the gospel because it, it would not seem that they had obeyed the gospel. Because when you obey the gospel, you never forget the thrill of coming into Christ and knowing that you're now walking with Him, knowing that you're now on your way to heaven. Your sins have been forgiven, been purged. So that's what happened. But, if you continue and do these things, Peter says, you will never stumble. Okay. But rather, what's waiting on you is an entrance, you keep reading through verse 11, an entrance into that heavenly kingdom. Alright, see the big picture here? The interest into the heavenly kingdom is really all that matters. What's going to be the most important thing on your plate 100 years from now? 50 years from now? 300 years from now? Okay. You know what it's going to be. Am I in heaven? Am I with the Lord? Okay. Have I brought other people uh, with me? And so, I wanted us to get this far uh, this evening to see the remedy that Peter mentions here. We're attracted to that because he says, if you do these things, you will never uh, stumble. There's an urgency behind what Peter is saying here. He says, you need to make your calling and election sure. I would say you do whatever is necessary to make sure of your salvation before your head hits the pillow tonight. It's just that important. There's nothing embarrassing about securing the salvation of your soul. Okay. It, is, it is the greatest use of 
anyone's time. I often tell people, you are not interfering with anybody's life. If you want to study, if you want to be baptized for forgiveness of sins, there are people ready to assist you right now to do that. If you want to come back home, if you want to start a new a series of studies in order to grow stronger in the Lord, then that can be certainly uh, worked out. Appreciate you working through the scriptures uh, together this evening. And we could have mentioned many, many more cases that would help us to see uh, those who have fallen away and the need to come back. We did not mention the example of Judas, who was among uh, the disciples and apostles who could do miracles, uh, yet he fell away. Think about Simon the sorcerer from Acts chapter 8, who in the area of Samaria, as Philip was preaching, he was baptized just like everybody else. But it wasn't long those old sins started creeping back into his heart. And he had to repent um, once again as Peter uh, instructed him. We could have um, spent a lot of time in the Corinthian letter. Uh, you remember, uh, I know you do, from 1 Corinthians uh, 10, where uh, Paul said, Take heed. What does that verse say? Take heed. Let him who thinks he stands take heed. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. But leading down to that verse was... Paul's reminding us of the time of God's people in the wilderness where they would actually, some of them grumbled against God okay, and drifted away from Him and, and then some actually committed um, some rather gross sins. But both of those sins, the grumbling and the sexual sin, both condemned in the same type of way in 1 Corinthians 10. Then he says... Uh, these things are written for our examples. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. So therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed uh, lest he fall. So, thank you so much for going through these uh, passages. I want to encourage you to uh, take this theme on yourself and do some further study. These are, these are rather simple to pull together especially if you have a good center column reference Bible. Um, you start on one of these passages and it will lead you to another and to another. Come on in. Come on in, ladies. Come on.